He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Many of us have either been interested in someone who didn't seem capable of loving or maybe we feel like we are that person. Obviously, that's a painful situation. So in today's podcast, I'm going to explore why can't I love to help you either understand and accept it or if it's you and you want to feel something different to cultivate something different. If you're new to the channel, thanks for stopping by and checking us out. If you're a regular listener, I appreciate you returning. When I was a kid, I had no idea what made people tick. They made absolutely no sense to me. That all changed when I took an intro to psych class in college, and it changed my whole life. Now, I'm here to share what I've learned so that other people don't have to deal with that type of confusion and have an easier time of being the best that they can be. As within, so without. And if you can understand yourself, it helps you to understand and connect with others. If the podcast helps you anyway, please consider sharing it with someone who needs to hear this. Liking and subscribing is another way that helps the podcast because it boots up the rankings and makes it easier for people to find the podcast. Donations are also useful. The podcast is free to listen to, but it's not free to produce. If you'd like to give back, we're on Buy Me A Coffee. It's buymeacoffee.com forward slash it's not you, it's me. You can find that link in the show notes. So let's jump in. Shall we? I think the obvious first go-to when thinking about why can't I love is autism. So let's talk about that first. People with autism experience the world differently. Everyone with autism is different, but generally speaking, autism impacts a person's social skills, communication skills, relationships, and self-regulation. If you want to do a deep dive into this, check out the Australian Netflix series, Love on the Spectrum. I think a lot of people think they have autism or are neurodivergent when they really aren't. Watching this series might help to clear that up. So autistic people can feel love. They often express it in ways that non-autistic people don't connect with. They may not pick up on cues that their partner wants affection or time. They may not express themselves in ways that feels warm, so it appears that they can't love. Autistic people have the same emotions as everyone else. They just don't get the social piece, so it can come out sideways by non-autistic norms. They might be too direct. They don't understand nuances, so they may stop asking you out if you say no once. Or they might continue to ask you out even though you said no because you gave them an excuse and they interpret that no as a conditional no. Healthy boundaries and, and honesty are always good things, but they are especially important with an autistic client or partner because they don't get those nuances. All the aspects of healthy relationships are especially important 
when you're in a relationship with someone who has autism. If they don't like non-sexual touch, you have to know that it's not about you and accept that boundary. People with autism have high degrees of affective empathy, which means that they can feel the emotional tone of the room, so that energy. So their partners need to be well-regulated, honest, and have healthy communication skills, or they're going to be in emotional turmoil. Their partners need to be tuned into their needs and wants and be willing to express them openly and honestly because autistic people don't have a lot of cognitive empathy. They're not going to be able to figure out what their partner is thinking or feeling based on body language. Autistic people often have routines and can come across as rigid in their patterns. You might be able to renegotiate these types of things with a non-autistic person. I have had a lot of clients feel unseen and unheard when they ask their partner to do something and they don't do it. They feel unloved. And this is not what's happening with an autistic person. Not doing what you ask doesn't equate to not loving you. Love isn't even part of the picture at all, so this could really feel invalidating. When your feelings are so out of alignment with reality, that can be super challenging. If you're someone who needs a lot of attention, don't be surprised if your autistic partner can forget about you or tune you out for days at a time if they're into something else. Again, it's not personal. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It's just that their brains are wired differently. Now, if you're thinking that you have autism, hang on. (laughs) The symptoms of autism can look a lot like trauma symptoms, so rule that out. Some Myers-Briggs personality types can look a little autistic, but they aren't autistic. According to researcher Robert G. Chester, INTPs and ISTPs are the most likely to be mistaken for having autism, even if they don't because of the way that they think. So there's a lot of range here. Autism is more than just having a hard time socially and not being able to read the room. They might have sensory issues like having a hard time with textures, foods, smells, light, and things like that. As a child, they may have rocked walked in circles, flapped their arms, or walked on their toes. They may be obsessive about certain details. If it's hard to understand figures of speech because you're super literal, that could be another sign. There are a lot of free tests online. If you think you're on the spectrum, that could be a good place to start. Now, they're not diagnostic tests, but if you rate high on an online test, it could be a signal to get an official diagnosis from a qualified professional. If you're like a lot of people, we hear about a disease or syndrome or condition and we think that we have it. If this is you, go to Google, search for an online mini test and take it. I think you'll find that you don't have it. (laughs) It's a lot more nuanced than what I talked about. And in most cases, if you feel like you can't love or someone you are, are with can't love, we're not talking about somebody with autism. Before I leave the topic of autism though, I want to say that if this is you or someone that you love, this can improve. I had a client long ago who had high-functioning autism, and he was classic in every single way. And what helped was cleaning up the diet, uh, eliminating chemicals like uh, things found in bath and body products and cleaning products. That helped a lot. Neurofeedback helped a lot, which we did together. And then um, this person also did helminth therapy, which is worms. Humans and microorganisms evolve together and a little bit of the right type actually helps us to function better. So this is a treatment for the gut. And too many of the wrong things uh, help us to feel sick or diseased. So 
with all of those things combined, this person ended up with a totally different personality, completely different, way more neurotypical, way happier, way more connected. Um, so I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having autism. Autistic people have talents and skills that neurotypical people don't have. However, it's possible for people with autism to be more warm want closeness and connection and express love in ways that non-autistic people do. And I'm not saying that this works for everyone or that everyone will respond in the way that this client did. People are individuals, you know? I'm just trying to let you know that if, if you in that situation, you may not be stuck with that situation. So we got autism out of the way. People with autism can and do love. Love and relationships are not easy for either party in a relationship where one of the partners has autism, but the people with autism can and do love. I hope that has reassured some of you. So what about everyone else? Here's an easy tell to see whether or not you are capable of love. Do you relate to animals? Most people do. Most people who have a hard time feeling love for a person have really meaningful bonds with animals. If this is you, the problem isn't that you can't love. It's that you don't feel safe enough to love. And that's a trauma issue. If you grew up in a situation where someone you cared about died when you were young, a parent had a prolonged illness and couldn't give you the care that you needed, you had a mentally ill parent or an alcoholic parent, a parent who left early in life, so maybe a divorce, or something happened to you where you felt abandoned like you had a sick sibling and your parent gave all the attention to them, you may have learned that love's not coming and it's not safe to love. Another scenario is one where you got love and praise sometimes and then criticism or cruelty at other times. If love came at a cost, that would teach you not to trust or open up because love is painful. So I'm talking about something like dad giving you affection when he's molesting you or mom singing your praises to her friends just because you're really great at playing the piano but screaming at you when it's just the two of you for random reasons. Another example is being best friends with your parent. If your parents confided in you and shared inappropriate things like fears, worries, financial issues, or other details about their sex life with you because you were special friends, it might have seemed like the two of you were really close, but that's emotional incest. Most people who grew up with this feel smothered by it or they feel like there's something gross about it because the parent isn't being a parent. They don't get their emotional needs taken care of because the child is taking care of the parent's needs. Getting attention, which is healthy and good and right, feels gross. So they might shut down the whole feeling thing altogether. Or they might really love the attention that they get, then loathe themselves for what they do to get it. So they pretend that love doesn't matter. They just shut it all down. Or they secretly hate their parent for what they're doing. And since they can't openly hate their parent because they need their love, they hate everyone of that gender as a surrogate. Our unconscious has really creative ways to protect us, but that's really what it's all about, safety. An irregular schedule of love, warmth or praise, or a situation of transactional love, you give me this and I'll give you love, or conditional love can teach us that love is dangerous. It's not worth it. If you open up, people will leave you. Or maybe the underlying belief is if people see who I really am, they will not like me and then leave or something like that. There's lots of different ways that they can, that this can show up. There's lots of different things that can trigger it. So those are just some examples, but it's all about safety. 
Most people I've worked with aren't about to let their guard down until they have some intellectual understanding of what's going on. So I'd start by teasing that out. Don't do the, I know my parents did the best that they could and I have to forgive them thing. A lot of people want to jump to that because they think it's the right thing to do. But if you rush to that and think that it's all done and dusted before you do the emotional healing, it's just going into shadow. And you're going to keep acting out the unconscious program of I can't love or there's something wrong with me or something like that. You have to start with the truth. If you don't feel lovable, feel that. If you feel like you're broken or think that people will abandon you, let that be where you are. If your parent was an alcoholic or had mental health issues, acknowledge that. They can still be a good person in other ways. The truth isn't always black or white. They can be flawed and you can still love them. They can have made mistakes and be hugely flawed and you still want their approval. It's okay for them to have made too many small mistakes and you decide you don't want anything to do with them anymore. You don't have to justify your feelings or decisions, but if you want to heal, you have to start with the truth. I talk to people every day who say, I never talked about this before, and then tell me a story or a lifetime of stories. Tell those stories. It's important to talk about the heavy and dark things. It's a terrible burden to carry them all alone, but if you get it out, it doesn't have to feel that dark or heavy. I heard a story about a Native American tribe that has a war ritual that goes like this. When the warriors come back from fighting, they have to stop outside their village to do a purification ritual so that they wouldn't bring that heavy energy into the settlement. Then they'd tell the stories of their deeds so that everyone would know what was done on their behalf. If the warrior was heroic, that would be acknowledged too. And the burden for the dark deeds was borne by the entire tribe, not just the warrior. I think if we did that, there would be a lot less aggression and PTSD. We'd be slower to go to battle, and we'd be much more compassionate and self-aware, don't you think? The point is, it helps to unburden yourself to someone who is stable and trustworthy to hear your story so that you can release them. It's also really good for preventing the accumulation of shame. So the intellectual understanding is the psychological piece. If one parent cheated on the other and then left with a new partner, as a child, that probably feels like abandonment. So you might want to investigate the dynamics of how and why people have affairs. It's not so cut and dried as you lied, you have no morals, you're a dirty rat. People are emotionally complex creatures who sometimes do really hard and hurtful things because they're hurting. It doesn't have to mean that they're bad or that they reject those whom they hurt. I think the movie The Hours is a beautiful example of this. It's a story about three women's experiences of depression and suicide. One of the women has what looks like a perfect suburban life with a man who loves her, a son, and a baby on the way. She lived her whole life caring for other people and doing what other people said she should do. And in the end, she makes a choice to love herself. And that choice has a lot of implications and hurts a lot of people. It's a moral dilemma because aren't we all taught to put our children first? I'm not saying that that's not a good idea. Children are innocent and dependent. But for this woman, it was a choice of life or death. Her love couldn't flow because she had no love for herself because she wasn't true to herself. Another example of love shutting down is enduring physical abuse as a child. It can be really hard to understand why anyone could be so cruel to a child. 
There are psychological issues around that too. We bond to our parents because it's biologically advantageous for the continuation of the species. If we're bonded, there's a greater chance that they are going to take care of us until we're independent and can do it on our own. We love our parents and we want them to love us. So when they're physically abusive, that sets up a psychological mind game. One part of our brain's survival system is saying, get away from the danger. And the other part is saying, run to your mom or dad. Their love becomes poison and we might want to shut down that love as a way to survive. If a parent is physically ill, a child could feel unloved because there's no energy to nurture them. It's easy to say, no matter what, my kid would have come first. I know I would have done blah, blah, blah. But until you're in that situation, you don't know what you could have or would have done. So find out. Ask people. Read blogs. Watch movies that have the same scenario to help you understand the human experience. We tend to watch movies for their entertainment value, but there's a lot of life in some of them. We can learn a lot about relationships and life by watching movies or reading books. If we sink our teeth into the plots, we can get a bird's eye view so we don't have to actually have that experience to understand it. If you cannot feel love, I hope that some of these scenarios opens your mind up to start exploring and understanding how your love got shut down. I hope that it can inspire some ideas on how to start feeling safe and opening up again. And for most of us, we're not really totally shut down anyway. Maybe it's more a matter of controlling the flow and access so that we risk only a little with a few safe people or a little at a time. Regardless of what it looks like with you, here are some suggestions on how to love. And before I forget, because I always forget to tell you guys what's happening, we're doing a 31-day love challenge in my private group. Every day there's a love prompt and a love check-in. You can do the prompt that is suggested or make up your own. They're focused on the five love languages to help you start engaging in more loving activities. The group is free. It's a way to start walking on the path of love with support and accountability. So feel free to jump in and join. The link's in the show notes. And there's other events there too. So the first suggestion is to do what we're doing in the 30-day challenge. Challenge yourself to do loving gestures. These are small, achievable things like complimenting someone, sending a thank you note, writing a gratitude letter, and things like that. If you go through the motions, it's going to feel like a to-do list. If you go through the motions mindfully, some of the things um, you might start to notice are things like, I had a pleasant conversation with a stranger and I didn't get hurt. Or, it felt really good when I smiled and someone smiled back. The point isn't to do stuff, it's to mindfully do stuff, to challenge your unconscious programs like it's not safe to love or I'm not lovable. When we have evidence that what we think is not true, it sets up this thing called cognitive dissonance. That is an uneasy feeling when our thoughts and behaviors don't align. It makes us do something different or change our beliefs and that's exactly what we're after, a change in beliefs. If I feel that I can love and I am lovable, I'll behave that way. Second suggestion is to tackle the fear of love with some trauma therapy or shadow work. I put this second because even though it's absolutely fundamental to recovery, if you wait until this piece is done, it'll take a long time to get started. You can do little things to begin to grow love inside before you're ready to give and receive it fully. The 30-day challenge is to plant seeds. It'll take some time to grow, and in the meantime, You can be doing the trauma work to remove the blocks to love and cultivate good ground for those seeds to grow. 
Now this is probably the most neglected piece of the puzzle. I can't believe how many people have blocks that aren't even aware of them. Don't ask for help and just accept a life that is less than fabulous when sometimes a single session can make a tremendous difference. When we live with a program like I don't deserve love or love hurts for so long, it can become invisible. It's like my program of I'm female. It runs in the background silently. I never think about it, yet I act on that belief every single day. It's in everything I do. It's part of my identity. And if we never question the things like this that compromise our self-concept, they can work for us or against us, either enhancing or limiting our lives without any awareness on our part. If you want to know if you have trauma, look at the things that get your nose out of joint. Did you have a happy holiday with your family or was that a triggering event? Do you have things from your past that you think about even though they were a long time ago? I'm sure that's a triggering event. Are you perpetually happy? Paradoxically, that can be another sign of trauma if you never let yourself be sad or unhappy because it could mean that denying your finger, your fingers, <laughs> your fingers, your feelings, denying your feelings has become a way of coping. A lot of people have blocks to love. These blocks are there to prevent them from loving because love has been dangerous or was perceived to be dangerous. You don't have to remember the danger to know that it existed. It's like believing in electricity, even though we don't see it. We see the product of it every time we flip a light switch. It's there. If your body is tight, you're jumpy, unhappy, can't connect and can't love, there are trauma triggers inside. Address those. If I can help with that, contact me. That's what I'm here for. The third suggestion is to cultivate safety. Along with neutralizing trauma triggers, you should learn how to calm yourself down, your nervous system, you know? If you don't know how to regulate your emotions, even the smallest bit of excitement can destabilize you. And who wants that? Meeting someone you really like can send you on an emotional roller coaster because you start overthinking and imagining a tragic end before the relationship is even started. If he doesn't text back in five minutes, you're imagining that he's eloped to Tahiti with someone else and he hasn't even seen your text yet. So do yourself a favor and learn emotional regulation skills and how to calm your vagus nerve. You can look up free suggestions for this on YouTube or TikTok. If you're in Virginia, I have a class that you can join as well. The fourth suggestion is that you find love in the natural environment and engage with that. I talked about pets in the beginning of the podcast. If you have a furry friend, snuggle them, talk to them, love them mindfully. Let yourself feel the love that you give and receive. Engage in it. If you're a nature lover, go outside. Watch the sunrise. See how the rays of sunshine spread across the sky and warm the earth. Let your skin tingle with the love that the sun gives. Let it open your heart. Then, when your gaze shifts to something else, let that love gaze see the love in other things, like the veins in a tree's leaf or the cracks on the back of someone's hands. When you do this, you're practicing building your love muscle. And the more you use it, the easier it becomes to love easily and freely. Another suggestion is to reminisce about happy times. Let yourself smile or laugh at the times that you had with others that were peaceful, loving, and warm. Feel that sweetness inside. Savor it. This is another way to exercise your love muscle. Finally, you can practice the one-minute meditation. There's an example of this on my YouTube channel. It's super easy, and you don't even have to watch that. All you have to do is do nothing for a minute. Time it. Don't skimp on your minute. Make sure you give it the full 60 seconds. You're not going to do any mudras, no breathing techniques, no visualizations, no chanting. You're not doing anything. 
This means that you can't do anxiety either. You can't do worrying or holding your muscles tight or keeping your emotional boundaries up. You're going to release everything. Layers might come off gradually. And if you do this long enough, you get to that juicy center where your love originates. When you tap into it, you'll discover that you are the source of it. There's an endless supply. It's okay to give it away and receive it because even if you're hurt, you can heal. The cycle of life means that there's always suffering and always healing. There is always growth and decline. We live in cycles of it. And as long as you get up and keep going, it'll end. So there's no reason to keep that guard up. You'll be fine. Once you know that, you can heal yourself. In fact, I have a client who terminated her trauma treatment after doing this one-minute meditation. She'd been a meditator for a long time, so she already had the ability to be calm and still. And when she added this technique, it went to a whole new level, and she found the divine inside. That's all it took. I know it sounds too easy to be effective, but I have found that the easiest techniques or practices tend to work the best, but are discounted because we have this hard work is, is the way to go program. I think, you know, we think we have to sweat and stress before anything good can happen. And that's just not true. Loving can be easy too. I know you can love because you are love. When you can be yourself, you'll be love. You'll ooze with it. And everyone who is in touch with their own love will be able to see it. That's why I do what I do, I think. The thing I love most about my clients is seeing the light come on. And by that, I don't mean that they have to do something spectacular. All they have to do is be themselves, be honest, be vulnerable, stop hiding. I don't even care if they're having a mental breakdown. If it's real, it's beautiful. Life's beautiful in all its facets. When I lived at the beach, one of my favorite things was to go down to the beach when there was a storm and just watch it rage around me. I love the power, the wind, the intensity. It was raw and real. And sometimes we're the storm. Sometimes we're the calm after the storm. It's all lovely. So find a place you feel safe enough to be naked and go streaking. And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> I mean that figuratively. Be you. You're beautiful. You're love. You're here to live a conscious, authentic life. Don't let a painful past or your shadows keep you from doing that. Go out there and discover the love inside. Then share yourself. Thanks for being here, guys. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear your comments. See you next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.